Father, we just thank you for uh, this lessons that we're learning here in the book of James, and especially today as we uh, tackle this issue of prayer and, and the uh, precepts that James gives us on this subject, Lord, they're just, they're, they can actually be life-changing if we'll follow these patterns that he gives us. And so, Lord, we all want to be great prayer warriors like this man Elijah we're going to look at today. We want to we pray like Elijah, Lord. We want to pray with power. We want to pray in a way that we have our prayers answered. And, and James is going to show us just how we can do that today uh, as we look at this text in uh, the last chapter of James. And so, Lord, I, we can only learn these truths, and they will only stay in our hearts if you anoint this study by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask today that you open our hearts and ears to hear what you would have us to say, uh, what you would have us to learn, and, and Lord, just uh, teach us to be great prayer warriors. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You know, I, I saw something really bothered me last week. Uh, a couple of our elders, uh, David and uh, Roy, were making a bet. And Roy bet David that he couldn't recite the entire Lord's Prayer. And David said, I'll take that bet. And so David began to recite. And he said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, you think that's funny. You laugh at that. Roy was really mad. He pulled out his wallet and he gave David $10. And he said, man, I can't believe you did the whole thing. <laughs> now, you talk about two spiritual giants we have as elders. <laughs> David and Roy are it. Seriously, though, the reason... David and Roy were chosen to be elders because we do consider them to be men of prayer. And hey, we want to surround, as a pastor, I want to be surrounded by men and women of prayer. As a believer, you want to be surrounded by men and women of prayer. And, and better yet, you want to be a man or woman of prayer. And that's what James is going to teach us to be today as, as we look at this last passage and in uh, chapter 5 of James. So turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 5, and we'll be picking up uh, down in verse number 12. James chapter 5, verse number 12. Let's read that. He says, But above all things, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Now, getting your prayers answered begins with integrity. I mean, the Lord seeks those who worship him how? In spirit and in truth. That's why James says here, above all. Above all, you should be people of integrity. Above all what? Above all the things that he's taught us in the rest of this book. Above uh, counting it all joy when we fall into trials. We're to be men and women of integrity. Above uh, treating everyone without partiality. Above loving our neighbors as ourselves. Above seeking God for wisdom. Above being swift to hear and slow to speak. Above laying aside all wickedness. Above being doers of the word and not hearers only. Above helping those in need. Above 
not being friends with the world, above submitting to God so that the devil flees from us, above, I mean, these are important things, above drawing near to God so that God will draw near to us, above not being judgmental, above being patient so that the blessings, those blessings of those latter's reigns will come to us all one day. Above all of those things, James says, we're to be people of integrity. We're to not to swear by heaven. We're not to swear by the Bible. We're not to swear to God. We're not to swear in the Lord's name. We're to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Now, why does James make that, put that above all these other things? Why is that the most important thing to him? Because I'll tell you why. And I've said this over and over again. Because your word defines your character. That's what defines your character. That's what makes you a good witness for the Lord. Is your word, are you people of your word? I mean, if we're truly born again believers, then we have Christian character. We have Christ in us. And Christ is, Christ is truth. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he, said, he says the same thing. He says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one, from the devil. It comes from the devil. The devil and his followers. If you're a follower of the devil, I tell you right now, you have no character. And people who have no character are people of the devil. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said in John chapter 8, he says to people who were the followers of the devil, he said, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And here's, here's the key part of this verse. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. If you don't have truth in you, then your father isn't God. Your father is the devil. Because you have Christ in you, your hope of glory. And Christ is truth. And, and Jesus went on to say, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar, and he's the father of, li of lies, and he's the father of liars. So when we are swearing to God, or when we preface a statement with phrases like, to tell the truth, you ever, you ever say that? To tell you the truth this time, or I'm not lying this time, what we're saying is that we really don't have character. In other words, what we're saying is I'm really got to tell you I'm telling the truth because most of the time I don't tell the truth. You see, you see how foolish that looks when we do that? Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I mean, don't we at times need to really emphasize the fact that we're telling the truth? Not if you're a person of truth. Not if your yes means yes and your no means no. No, if your yes really means yes when you say yes and your no really means no when you say no, people are not going to need you to emphasize the fact that you're telling the truth. They're going to know that you're telling the truth. Now, you can apply that precept to every walk of life. As Christians, we should be the people in our, if we're employees, we should, we should have more character than anybody else in the workplace. Our word should be our word. If we're businessmen, when we make a deal, we should stick to that deal. Uh, and, and, and when we're at home, our word should be it, it, it taken as yes, our yes means yes, and our no means no, especially at home. 
I mean, if you lie to your spouse, I mean, what kind of character do you have? I mean, you, you hear these people that, that, that lie to their wives, the husbands that lie to their wives, or wives that lie to their husbands, and, 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 and all of the media presents this as okay. If you don't have any character at home, you don't have any character. As parents, we have to have character. Our yes has to mean yes, and I'll tell you this, our no has to mean no. And if it doesn't mean no, then we don't have character. I remember when I was going to Calvary Chapel of Las Vegas, the pastor there, John Michaels, one day was talking on this subject, and he said that he made, a, made it a practice in his home that when he said no, he said it one time, and he never had to say it a second time. His children understood that that was his word. And if he said no, at, he didn't say it a second time. He took his belt out, and he, he ministered discipline at that point. I said to myself, man, that's a really good, I mean, Eli was a baby at the time. I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work that way in my home. Well, my yes is going to be yes. When I tell my kids yes, I'm going to mean it. But when I tell my kids no, I'm going to tell them one time no, and the second time if I have to tell them, then they're going to be punished. And it's amazing how fast kids pick that up because they believe your word. I see parents that, that, that it's the fifth time they tell their kids no, and they've raised their voice a little bit each time, and by the time they're telling them no the fifth time, I don't care where they're at, they might be in a restaurant, they scream no! And the kid says, oh, he really means it this time, or she really means it this time. So they stop what they're doing. No, our yes should be yes, and our no should be no all the time. So if we want our prayers answered, first of all, it begins with our integrity. We have to have integrity. We have to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, and, and then we pray. Look at verse number 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Any, anybody in here suffering today? You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I bet you a lot of you could raise your hand and say, yeah, I am suffering. In one way or the other, I'm suffering. Is anyone in here cheerful? I think there's a lot of cheerful people in here today. Uh, if so, let him sing psalms. In other words, what James is saying right there, whether, whether you're suffering or whether life is great for you, you should be in prayer. And prayer involves two things. Prayer involves lifting up your request. And it involves praising God, thanking God. I mean, if, you're, if your things are going good, you want to be thanking God. If, you want, if things are going bad, you want to be asking God to help you get out of the mess you're in. And, and where does that prayer begin? He, he says here, if anyone, he's speaking to us as individuals, if you're suffering or if you're happy, if things are going good, where do you go? You go to your closet and you pray. And you ask God to help you. And you, and you ask God to, to, to get rid of that illness you have or to... To, to, or you thank God because something really good has happened in your life. But if you're ill and that doesn't work, well, he gives you the next step. Look at the next step in verse 14 and 15. He says, if any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Man, you talk about a fantastic passage here. You talk about a passage that's not 
used as maybe as often as it should be. Look at the precept that he gives us right here. Let me read it one more time. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will hear him, will, the Lord will hear the prayer, will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, his sins will be forgiven. Man, you, you ever been sick? I mean, all of us have been sick, right? You want healing prayer when you're sick? Well, here's the formula right here. He gives it to us. But he puts some conditions on it, doesn't he? There's some conditions to this prayer. First of all, watch what he says. That the person who is sick calls on the elders for the elders to pray for them. You know, I have people come up to me all the time and they tell me about how sick they are, how ill they are, and I'm just begging for them to say, hey, get, would you mind getting the elders and getting the oil and would you all pray for me and, and pray that this illness would go away? Because if I have to ask them, it probably is not going to work. And the reason it's going to work, because God wants you to ask, if you're sick, to ask the elders to pray for you. And for you to have the oil poured on you and prayers be laid, hands laid on you and you be prayed for. Why is that? Why is that? Because that's an act of humility. In other words, you're coming and you're saying, there's no other way I'm going to get healed. You're saying that I can't, I've prayed, I've tried myself, and this is not working, so I'm going to humble myself and ask somebody else to pray for me. And that really is an act of humility. But it's also an act of faith. Because if you look at this on the surface, it looks kind of stupid. You know, I mean, to have the people pour oil on you, lay hands on you, and pray, it really doesn't, you know, it's, all, it's kind of humiliating. And it doesn't, you know, how is that going to work? Well, you got to believe it's going to work. And when you ask the elders, what you're saying is, I believe that God can heal me. And so it's an act of faith. The second condition is, is that you ask the elders. Now, why the elders? I mean, I mean, I mean because they are people who at least should know the Lord's Prayer, right, Roy? <laughs> Seriously, they should be men and women or men who have God's ear. God's listening to them. They're men, and they're men of prayer. I mean... When, I, when, I, when James uses the elder here, I think he's talking about officers in the church, but I think you can take that a step further. I believe any person who is mature in Christ, who you know is mature in Christ, that's who you want to look for to pray for you. You want to look for somebody who's, who's close to God, who's close to God in prayer. That's, that's who I want praying for me. And, and so uh, you ask the elders. And then the third condition here is that you're anointed with oil. Now, the people who are cessationists or those who don't believe in gifts in the modern age, they don't believe in healings in the modern age, would tell you that the oil, the reason you ask for the oil is for medicinal purposes. That oil was used in those days as medicine. Now, oil does have some medicinal purposes. If you're constipated, drink you, chug you some oil and it'll work. But that's about it. That's not what James is talking about here at all. Because look at the verse 15. It says, it's a prayer of faith. This is not about medicine right here. It's not about medicine at all. Why do you, then do you anoint yourself, or do you anoint the sick person with oil? 
Because the oil represents always in Scripture, what does oil represent? The Holy Spirit. And so when you're anointing that person with oil, you're putting, you're symbolizing the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to heal that person. And the elders lay hands on that oil on your forehead, or sometimes I've seen people just soak you in oil, and they lay their hands on that oil-soaked head. We don't do that here, thank goodness. We'll just put a little oil on your forehead. And then that represents the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit is present. And i got to tell you this. There's been times when people have asked me to pray for them, and I've put oil on their forehead, and I've laid my hands on their head, and I could feel the heat, and they could feel the heat. The, the heat, not the heat of my hand but the heat of the Holy Spirit and going through their body and healing them. And whenever I've had that happen, those people have been healed. Now, we're not the healing church or anything like that, but I really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. And so, so that's one of the conditions, that you, you anoint them with oil. Here we use olive oil. If you, Western oil works fine. It's not the brand. It's not the type of oil. In fact, somebody brought us some oil from Israel, and we use oil from Israel. So, but that doesn't matter where you get it. You can get it at the 7-Eleven. Wherever you buy your oil, the oil will work. All right, now, then he gives us another condition. Look at the last part of verse number 14. In the name of the Lord, you have to pray that prayer in the name of the Lord because it's by his stripes we're healed. The Lord's the one who does the healing. The elders don't do the healing. And it, and it can't just be mouthing the name of the Lord. It has to be a realization there that no man has the power to heal anybody. I see these television evangelists who act as if they've got some kind of personal power in them to heal people. That's not true. It's in the name of the Lord that we're healed. By his stripes, we're healed. Now, does it work? Does it work? If it worked every time, we would have a line up here every time you all had a cold. I mean, we would, everybody would be asking the elders to, to pray for them. Does it work? I believe it works, and I've seen it work. Sometimes it doesn't work. I, I don't always know why. Sometimes I think I do know why. Sometimes I don't know why. I mean, I know in my own personal life. I remember about six years ago, I was sick as a dog for about six months. I had a urinary tract infection, a kidney infection. I had all sorts of problems. I went through three doctors, all sorts of medicines. They couldn't get that thing to, to heal. No antibiotics, nothing was taken care of. It. And finally, in frustration, one Wednesday night, I humbled myself and I asked the elders to pray for me. And they put oil on me and they prayed for me and I was instant. In fact, they prayed for, where's Doug? Is Doug here? They prayed for Doug who had diverticulitis at the time. We pray, they prayed for both of us and we both were healed that very night. But I remember a few years before that, I'd had a strep infection, and I was running 104 temperature for about 90 days straight, and I asked the elders to pray for me, and I asked the elders to pray for me, and they put oil on me, and they prayed for me, and when they did, that fever left. It left instantaneously. But the next morning, it came back. And I dealt with that disease for about six months before they found out what it was and got rid of it. The doctors did. So God works through healings and he works through doctors. That's always the dilemma we have. I mean, but I'm going to tell you this. First and foremost, if, you've got, if you're sick, the very first thing you should do, 
if I see that you're sick, I'm not going to come to you and ask if we can put oil on you and, and lay hands on you because it's not going to work. You've got to humble yourself and in faith say, I'm sick, will you pray for me? Will you get the elders to pray for me and we'll pray for you? And God very well might heal you. He very well might use doctors to heal you. He, he, he does both. And so it's, we can't put him in a box. But anyway, there certainly is healing. But, but there's one other thing that there's another condition. Look, look at the very last part of that verse. He says that if he has committed sins, past tense, his sins will be forgiven. In other words, I think what James is saying right there, your sins, your past sins are not going to get in the way of you being healed. They're not going to get in the way of you being healed. If you've, if you've committed sins in the past, they've been forgiven. But here's the problem. If you're living in sin, I don't care who you have prayed for you, how much oil you have poured on you. If you're living in sin, more than likely God is not going to heal you. So you've got to repent of that sin. And that's why that leads us to the next verse. What do we do then? Verse number 16, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Now notice the one another. In the Greek, that's, that's important. Because he's not saying confess your sins before the church. I know some of these churches, they let people get up and confess their sins. And, and, and I don't think you should do that. I don't think if, if we all knew each other's sins, we would all be going to another church. You know, I mean, we, there's no, we, we don't want to know every details of your life, every sin in your life. I don't want to know that. And the church doesn't need to know that. But maybe you need to hook up with somebody and one another, maybe with somebody you can trust. You better make sure it's somebody you can trust. I'm sure you've all heard the joke about the four pastors that got together once a week to pray. And uh, they, they uh, were reading, and they would read Scripture, and they just happened to be, read this Scripture in, in uh, James about confessing your sins to one another. So they said, let's do that today. The first pastor, he said, well, my sin is, is pornography. Man, I look on the Internet, and I watch pornography all the time. The second guy said, well, my sin's drinking. I drink about uh, three or four bottles of wine a week. The third guy said, the third pastor said, my sin is gambling. I head out to the racetrack all the time and I gamble. And the fourth pastor went running out the room. They said, where are you going? He said, my sin's gossiping and I'm on the way to tell everybody <laughs> what I've heard here today. <laughs> so you got to be real careful about who you confess your sins to because people love to gossip. You know, that's something as a pastor I guard. If you, if you confide, if you tell me something Brenda will tell you, I won't even tell her because I, it, it, it's amazing how things, not that I don't trust my wife, but I don't even tell her. And, and, and that's the way we should all be. If you, if you confess your sins to one another, you need to leave it right there. It doesn't need to spread all over the church. But confession is good for the soul. I believe that. It's good for the soul. Now, let me tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe that confession is a sacrament, as some people teach. Some people teach that somehow by confessing your sins, you get rid of your sins. That's not true. Confession does not cleanse you of righteousness. Now, to get saved, we have to confess the fact that we're sinners. But your confession does not cleanse you of anything. It does not put you in better shape with God. If you're a born-again believer, you've been perfected forever, and you're always in fellowship with God. You can turn to God at any time. Now, I'm not saying God won't spank you if you're in sin, but your confession isn't what gets you into the presence of God. But confession 
is good for the soul. It's not a sacrament. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, not our confession. But confession is good for the soul. And let me tell you why confession is good for the soul. Because confession leads to repentance. God could care less about you telling him about your sin. What's he want you to do with your sin? Put it away. He wants you to stop sinning. And so confession's good in that sense that confession uh, leads to repentance, and repentance is what God is looking for. And it's in repentance that we're going to find power in our prayers. And so, yeah, it might be a good thing to get with somebody and tell them a little bit about your life. And, and all of a sudden they say, well, you know, this area of your life right here, you might not see it as that, but I believe you're sinning against God. You might be, it might be the fact that all you do is watch TV, you know, and you don't see that. And that's not a sin in and of itself. But that person might say to you, well, you know what? Maybe you would, you would get your prayers answered a lot better if you'd put the TV up. And you'd go somewhere and you would pray. So, so confession's good in the sense that we can, it leads to, repent, re, leads to repentance. All right. So he says, confess, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Pray for one another. I mean, as a church, we pray for one another here. We pray on Wednesday nights for healing. Uh, I, I think we should do that. I think it's an important part of our our ministry is to pray for one another and pray for healing for one another uh, that you might be healed. All right. But here's, the, here's what I want you to see. And I, and I don't think I make this clear enough at times. It's not how many people you have praying for you that matters so much. It's who you have praying for you that matters. Look, if you're living in sin and you find a thousand more people who are living in sin to pray for you, that's not going to do you near as much good as finding someone who's not living in sin, someone who's a pretty righteous person, someone who, who you can trust and get them to pray for you. And, and better yet, you need to be that person. You know, I think a lot of people have most of their prayers answered right in their prayer closet. Because they're living close to the Lord and they're living for the Lord and they're living righteously before the Lord. And so they don't, you know, they, they don't need anybody to pray for them. I, I hate to say that, but there's some people that don't. Did Jesus need anybody to pray for him? Did he, did he want, ever once, I, I, I didn't check this out all the way through the New Testament, but I don't believe he ever once asked anyone to pray for him. I believe he asked people, people to pray with him as a privilege to pray with him, but I don't, he, he never once asked anybody to pray for him because he was living perfectly righteous before the Lord. And so the best way to have your prayers answered is to confess your sin, admit you're a sinner, find out in the areas of your life where you're sinning, and put that sin away. Repent, and you'll have the power in your own life to pray for your own needs and the needs of your family. But if you don't fit that bill, then you don't go out and find a thousand more people just like you. You find some people who you can trust that are living righteously before the Lord. Men and women like Elijah. Man, I love that Elijah. Because look what it says, a fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's why 
he turns now to his example, his character example, and he uses this man, Elijah. It's really funny because this week when I was going over this passage, I said, I think I'm going to text Chap and ask him to uh, uh, do uh, the days of Elijah. I didn't, I didn't text him, and he did the days of Elijah. So God's trying to speak to you here, I know. Let's look at this man, Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know what James is saying? He had the same, you have the same opportunity that Elijah had. You can be as great a man or woman of God as Elijah was. That's what he's saying. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Man, what a powerful prayer warrior Elijah was. That's why he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. The first time you see Elijah, he explodes on the scene, and he comes to the palace of this wicked king Ahab. And you remember what he says? He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. Not at the Lord's word, at my word. In other words, I've decided it's not going to rain for three and a half years in Israel. And I'm standing here to tell you that today. Now, if I walked up here today and I told you it's not going to rain in Lafayette for three and a half years, you'd laugh me out of the room. Because it's Lafayette and it's going to rain almost every day. But, but how bold was this guy to think he had the power to stop the rain? Not for a week or a month, but for three and a half years. I mean, this guy was so bold that he went up on Mount Carmel facing 450 prophets of Baal, risking his reputation and risking his life, and after they had done their thing all day long, he poured water all over the altar and more water all over the altar, and then he prayed that fire would come down from heaven. That's how bold he was. you got to be bold to do that. I mean, if the Lord told you at the next funeral you went to, I want you to lay hands on that dead person in that casket. And I want you to declare to everybody he's going to walk, rise up from the dead. How many of you would do that? <laughs> I mean, Elijah knew that that fire was going to come down, but he really didn't know that fire was going to come down. And just think of how embarrassing that would have been for him if the fire had not come down. Now, they knew he was a prophet because he had said it was going to rain for three and a half years, and the three and a half years had passed, and he's up on Mount Carmel, and he says, fill the altar with water. And he prayed to the Lord that the fire would come down, and what happened? The fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, not only the sacrifice, but the altar and the water in the sacrifice. And everybody fell on their face and said, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. So the three and a half years were up, and, and uh, Elijah 
after Elijah had confronted Ahab, and he went back up on Mount Carmel, and he prays. And listen, listen, listen let me, I'm reading from 1 Kings 18. Listen to what it says. It says, then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And so his servant went up and looked and, and came back to Elijah, and he said, there's nothing. And seven times he told his servant, go up and, and see if there's anything happening. And then it came to pass on the seventh time that he said to his, his servant said to him, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And that bold Elijah, he knew at that point that the Lord was going to answer his prayer and the rain was coming. And so he said, go up and tell Ahab, you better get your chariot down from the hill because you're going to get stuck in the mud because it's about to rain. He said, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain starts. Now it happened in the mount, in, in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. Man, you talk about a man of prayer. I wish Elijah was around here. Man, that's who I'd have to anoint me with oil and pray for me. Man, but look what James says. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, James is saying to you and me that we have the same possibilities for power in our prayer that Elijah experienced in his prayer. We have that. Man, he was a man who had every single prayer he prayed answered. Well, that can't happen, can it? I believe I heard Jesus say that anything you ask in my name, you will receive anything you ask in my name. You will receive. Well, Lord, I'm asking for a lot of stuff and it's not coming. Why not? Because I'm not meeting these conditions. I mean, I'm not meeting these conditions. But I got to tell you something. I don't know many Elijahs. I don't know many Elijahs in this world at all. I don't, I'm not an Elijah. Man, I'd love to be like Elijah. But I got other things going on in my life. I've got a family. I've got dogs and cats. You know, I've got a church. I can't be like Elijah. I can't grow up my beard. I, well, chap did his, and Rob's now grown his out. Y'all notice Rob visited us today. He's grown his beard out. Maybe I could grow the beard, but, man, to live like Elijah, as righteously before the Lord, as separated into the Lord as Elijah, man, I don't think I can do that. Now, can I live as, am I as righteous as the Lord? I mean, as righteous as Elijah? I'm, actually, what I just said is true. I'm as righteous as the Lord because the Lord has given me his righteousness. But see, when James says right here, when James uses, uses this as an example, and, and go back to verse number 15, he says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. He's talking about past tense, and he's talking about the fact that, that uh if you're still living in sin, then you're probably not going to get your prayers answered. But then if you look at the last part of verse 16, he says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, I'm every bit as much righteous positionally as Elijah was righteous. Positionally. But I think James here is talking about practical righteousness. Am I living righteous? Am I living as righteously as Elijah lived. And I got to tell you, I'm not. And I don't believe any of you are. 
And so it makes it very difficult for us to have our prayers answered like this man of Elijah. Even though Elijah was a man with the same nature as ours, I don't know, I don't know anybody in this room, and I don't know all of you well, but the people I do know in here, I'm not putting you down. I put myself in the same category. You're not as righteous, living as righteously as Elijah. You're not sold out to the Lord like Elijah was. And so that's why we don't see power in our prayers. But you know what? We've got something going for us that Elijah didn't have. There's one other way that you can get, you can't sell yourself out maybe like Elijah, but you can do what James tells us to do in the last part of this, this chapter. Listen to what he says. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone turns him back, if you got a guy in here, a lady in here who you know is, is heading into a, a, a difficult situation because of their sin, and you help turn them back in a gentle way, be careful how you do that. Beware if you think you stand lest you fall, Paul said. You who are spiritual, go to those who are having trouble with sin and, and talk to them, he t- says in Galatians chapter 6. He says, but he says, brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from error of his way, okay, will save a soul from death. Because there is a sin unto death. And, and, and sin is always death in some way. It kills joy, it kills peace, it kills all sorts of things. And, and also, I think he's referring here to saving a soul from death. He's referring to saving a lost sinner from death. If you do that, you will cover a multitude of sins. You know, you know I'm not as righteous at living as righteously as Elijah. I'm not as sold out for God as Elijah. But if I do these things, I cover a multitude of sins. That's what he's saying right there. Now, there's two interpretations for that. One is that if you lead somebody to the Lord, then you're going to put them under the blood of Christ and you're going to cover a multitude of their sins. But I don't think that's what James is talking about right here. He's talking about the fact that love, love, loving other people, reaching out to other people covers a multitude of your own sins. I mean, all our sins are washed clean. I'm talking about it gives us practical righteousness before God. It gives us a standing before God that allows us to get our prayers answered. The Lord puts it like this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. He says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all sin. Peter is going to say when we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, he says above all things, now this is his above all things, love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude. If you're not living so well for the Lord, hey, you show love to others, the Lord is pleased with that. And he's going to answer your prayers because that's exactly what he says over in Isaiah chapter 58. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 58. He says, you shall call and the Lord will answer. Here I am. If. There's an if there. If you take away the yoke from your midst. If you don't put burdens on other people. what he's talking about there. If you cease the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. 
If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then the Lord will answer your prayers. You hear that? In other words, love covers a multitude of sins. You might not be as righteous as Elijah. You might not be sold out as much as Elijah. But, man, if you start helping the poor and you start caring for other people and you quit gossiping about people and slandering other people and you're nice to other people, instead of so bitter and so, I mean, everything that comes out of your mouth is wicked, then if you'll put those things away and if you'll help people instead of putting yokes on people, then the Lord will answer your prayer and satisfy your soul from its drought. And he will guide you continually and strengthen your bones. You shall be water, like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Man, do you want answered prayers? Do you want your prayers answered? Well, James has showed us how, how here today. First of all, you've got to be honest. You've got to be an honest person. You've got to have integrity. Secondly, you've got to believe. You've got to have faith. You've got to humble yourself before the Lord and, and not trust in things other than the Lord for your deliverance. You've got to confess your sins, maybe to one another, at least to the Lord. And more importantly than confessing your sins, you've got to repent of your sins. And then, if it's not working, then get a righteous man or woman to pray with you. Someone you know who's close to the Lord. But most of all, most of all, if you want to see your prayers answered, lead others to the Lord. Help others to repent. Just love other people. And if you love other people, your prayers are going to have great power. And your prayers are going to be answered by the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. And Lord, we thank you for the great promise here that if, if we'll put away our bitterness and our self-centeredness, and Lord, that if we'll just reach out to others in a loving way, if we'll lead the lost to you, Lord, if we'll lead those who are going astray back to the great shepherd, or if we'll just believe and humble ourselves before you and ask, Lord, in your name, we'll receive anything that we ask. Our prayers will have great power. Lord, we just thank you for those promises. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.